Hello, welcome to Art on a Podcast, the podcast created by the not-for-profit organisation Art on a Postcard. This series will be having some exclusive conversations with some of the phenomenal contributing artists to our International Women's Day Art on a Postcard auction. All of the artists have generously donated postcard-sized mini-masterpieces to help us continue to raise funds for the Hepatitis C Trust. We discuss what inspires them, how they work and the contemporary art landscape. I'm Rosa Tor, researcher and content creator for Art on a Postcard. Today I visit Fipsy Silern in her home and studio in London, where she tells me about her fascination with cults, her painting education in a Florence atelier, and about her once anonymous street art alter ego, Pang. Fipsy Silern is a London-based visual artist working across several mediums. Motivated by her own questions around human behaviour, Her work draws on both current and historic references, exploring themes such as groupthink, identity, religion and idealism. Her studio practice emerges through extensive online research and the prolific body of drawings and paintings. In her 2016 series Too Many Kings, glorified warriors battle each other and followers of notorious 70s cult leader Jim Jones crowd around for a sip of Kool-Aid. Her drawings of a mass wedding ceremony practiced by members of the Unification Church in Korea was exhibited at the 2018 RA Summer Exhibition. Other projects include public interventions under the pseudonym Pang, through which Silen creates an ongoing dialogue between street art and classical art. Born in London in 1984, Silen attended the Charles Cecil Painting Atelier in Florence and is exhibited in London, Berlin, New York, Vienna and Stockholm. You can take a look at Fipsy's work at fipsysilearn.squarespace.com and on Instagram at pang underscore artwork. Fipsy Silearn, thank you so much for having me in your studio today. Absolute pleasure. Your beautiful home. (laughs) Thank you. How much time do you spend here? Um, Well, I am quite a homebody, but at the moment I'm studying. So I'm doing a master's course in fine art. Mm. at um, City and Guild, which is a great college down in Kennington. Mm -hmm. So less and less, actually, which is why my studio is a bit sort of uncurrent. Most of my work is at college. Yeah. But I do like coming home in the evenings and chilling out. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Given that I'm no longer a teenager, I I avoid going out as much as I can. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I like to stay in and just kind of get cosy. But I'm out all day, every day these days. And how come you've decided to go back to studying? That's a great question, Um, and I thought about it for a while, but basically, the simple reason would be lack of community. So I would say for about seven years, leading up to being at college, I was just in my studio alone. Mm. And, you know, it's all very well when you've kind of got your projects on the go and, you know, surrounded by your work, but just at some point, you kind of start to wonder where is the meaning of what you're doing and you kind of have no one to sort of bounce off there's only kind of the surfaces of your studio walls and it kind of got it kind of loses the point in in just churning out your work um when there's no one around you so I suddenly really felt that I needed like an artistic community absolutely Um, yeah because you initially you studied in Florence yeah exactly yes and was that in was it in drawing or painting painting Yeah. yeah it's like a small painting atelier and they they kind of literally just teach you the the 
the kind of the bare bones of, of, of 16th century Italian painting. Mm. And when I say the bare bones, in the sense that um, you don't really get taught theory um, or anything like that. It's just kind of really intense painting all the time, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's another thing I felt I kind of lacked in my um, education was just the sort of theory and the context and, and, and the kind of build up through history um, mm. right the way up to contemporary art. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't really have that either. That is another reason I wanted to go and study because I knew that you'd get that kind of, mm. you know, the, the more kind of wide education. Yeah. Which I was really up for. Yeah. I mean, the, you can see your love of history through your work. I love, love your Too Many Kings series oh thank you it's really it's it's a really beautiful series um showing groups well I'm really interested in group behavior um I would say and psychology I'm really interested in psychology and at that time I was particularly kind of driven by what happens in a crowd how humans seem to lose their sense of individuality and it's so interesting what happens in a crowd you know from being on a packed tube kind of jostling people out the way and you're like oh I wouldn't do this if I was like uh, you know what I mean you, your behavior changes yeah. to really intense scenarios like Jonestown which mm-hmm. was obviously that horrible mass suicide in the late 70s in America 70s were a really weird time for cults but um, the reason that I'm really interested in all of that is because actually I had a very weird experience in my 20s mm. um, with a psychotherapist who was pretty much un- uh, licensed, but I was really young and I didn't really know. I didn't know that you need to do your research. Now I do because I'm an old bat, but at the time <laughs> I didn't have a clue. And um, I was grappling with actually my sexuality, right. thinking, mm, I think I'm gay, but I definitely can't come out. So maybe I should go to a therapist. So I kind of, I was recommended this therapist, and um, you know, little did any of us know that she was actually really kind of. Um, I know that we're being recorded, so I want to mind my P's and Q's a little bit, but she was very, she had a lot of malintent, and basically she sort of tried to brainwash all of her clients, and a couple of my friends got involved as well, and we ended up down this really weird rabbit hole where we were, sometimes we were like, are we in like a therapy cult? What the hell is going on? But basically she kind of told me, um, she kind of implied that she knew that I wasn't gay, but that I had all these other issues and that I really needed to sort those out. And I kept coming back time and time again to this simple question that I'd gone in with, which is like, okay, but can we just kind of figure out why if I am gay, there's such a problem? Mm -hmm. Because it shouldn't be one, obviously. Mm -hmm. Everyone should just be themselves. But um, she would continually steer me away from that. So, And eventually I did extrapolate myself from this weird influence um, at which point I was like, okay, I am gay. Let's let's just move forward with my oh life. God. And you know that is really what got me interested in authority, influence, power, control, and all of these issues, which I actually had dealt with quite firsthand. So yeah. leaving that kind of, I mean, I want to say cult, but you know, most people they think of cults and they think of drinking Kool Aid. It was obviously not like uh-huh. that at all. But it just it kind of bore the hallmarks of what makes a cultic relationship. You know, as I said, things like undue influence and power and kind of control of information and it's basically a series of of controls that that shouldn't really be in place so that is I would say directly what led me to my ongoing interest in human psychology human behavior you know Mm. who controls us how do we let ourselves get controlled what are the ingredients in place that will lead us to be taken to kind of down a rabbit hole that's that's not really authentic to who we are Mm. so um post leaving that that weird therapy um, I just got really involved and I, I, I looked up sort of everything and anything to do with 
group behavior and cults and and again all of the things i mentioned earlier with authority and hierarchies and yeah and when a human kind of loses themselves in a big group and when that might become um sort of dangerous or poisonous mm. so that led me to making this series of works like um, from the too many kings series some of them were really obvious not by looking at but by by reading about and seeing the title really obvious kind of cult group scenarios like the jonestown one yeah um or for example the mass wedding ceremony mass wedding. i love that one thank you where is that from mass wedding ceremony so is that it? is a korean cult called right. the unification church they get furious if you call them a cult but they 100 percent are mm -hmm. um they're colloquially known as the moonies i don't know if you've heard of them no i haven't so the guy who used to run that cult he was the head head of a cult sam young moon he's now dead but like any really good cult the cult lives on after the death of the leader, so that's still going really strong. And, and almost canonizes them in a way. Absolutely. You know, the members of the cult will dig their heels in harder when something like that happens. Or often people are arrested, but it just makes the believers like even more mm. devout, which is so interesting. That's exactly the kind of thing I find really, really interesting. Like, why when Warren Jeffs was sent to prison, um, having been arrested for having uh, the fundamental Latter-day Saint community completely under his control with child brides and everything. Why, when he was literally arrested and still thriving in jail, is his cult still going so strong? Why do his believers still worship him? Mm. Now he's like this martyr. It's very interesting and really, it's really odd. You'd kind of think that, that oh, someone's been arrested, now everyone's going to run away, but no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of exactly the kind of, that, that nugget is the kind of thing that I'll find really odd and I'll want to kind of dig deeper. But mm -hmm. So yeah, um, but back to the Unification Church, they practice these massive wedding ceremonies and that's a way, that's a tactic to keep the sort of ideals of their cult really strong, yeah. of their group. So for example, if you marry a stranger, then uh, you'll have, you know, then you'll have their baby. But if, if the person you're marrying is... Um, another member of the cult and you don't speak the same language it's kind of a really good tactic to ensure that your ethos will just keep kind of keep as strong as it always was so right. so he'll do these huge ceremonies and people will meet and marry on the same day and then mm. you know they'll they'll be preached at that day and then you know 10 years later they have three children and and it carries on yeah so that was one of the scenes as well that was that was basically the scene that i drew for the mass wedding ceremony yeah those paintings have a really quite sort of um lots of geometric blocking and uh, symmetry but you know the, the figures are almost like a, like a kind of naive style to them yeah absolutely. where did you develop that How, what, why did you land on that kind of way of painting for this series having been to that painting school where you really hone your draftsmanship mm. um, there's that you kind of can't get away from your doodling or something or at least I can't and I think <laughs> I wanted to keep it on in fact after leaving that that painting school I kind of painted with my left hand for a while just to not lose the sort of freshness mm. is your ambidextrous you not really I mean the paintings right. with my left hand are really really crap <laughs> but I did want to sort of break the the kind of constraint of of having that hand-eye coordination that I'd been honing for four years in Florence. Mm. And I loved that school. It was so amazing and I had the best time ever. But it, and, and it's great that, you know, you come away with that skill. But I've always loved the sort of naivety of quick drawing, line drawing, doodling, whatever you want to call it. So I didn't really want to lose that. So for a while, I, I used my left hand to keep it intact, which really worked because wow. I'm not ambidextrous. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say it kind of worked in conjunction with that 
using my left hand for about a year meant that I developed the sort of naivety and then when I went back to my right hand um, I was able to sort of use it again so mm. so that that kind of helped with that yeah. um, and then going to the style style of those of those works um, I kind of love so many facets of, of ancient and historic art you know from mm. the Alexander mosaic to sort of Japanese ukiyo-e woodblock printing from mm -hmm. the sort of 14 15 1600s and there are just so many things that I love and if yeah. you look at them if you look at stuff enough I guess it sort of leaks into your practice, even if you don't want it to. Mm. Sometimes you have to not look at things for that reason, <laughs> just in case, you know. But yeah, I was really looking at, at those those things while I was making those works a lot, mm. obsessively, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and can we talk on the podcast about your alter ego, Pang? Yes, yeah? of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure of how anonymous or, you know. So it's, it's street art. Yeah, so it's street art, and um, when I started, I did use a bit of anonymity because I didn't know how to go about it, so I would just sort of do these scribbles on walls which I knew were not precious walls. You know, I would never try and deface a bank or anything, but, mm. you know, you kind of go around with your Sharpie and you do a little thing, or you might do something a bit bigger, but at the time, I didn't, I didn't know how bad that was or if I would get in a lot of trouble, so I sort of just took the last bit of my surname as a pseudonym, right. um, Pang, and then... Over the years, I kind of, um, I learned a bit more about it and you start to get sort of commissions and you make friends and then you do collaborations. Actually, it's the other way around. You make the friends, you make collaborations, you kind yeah. of get involved with your peers on the scene. Mm. And then, um, and then you know, doing a lot of collaborations and, and just kind of getting to know the walls of London a bit more. And then eventually you do sort of get commission work and um, and so, yeah, that's really the sort of journey of Pang. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, there's no anonymity. I actually just yesterday on my Instagram, I, I thought it was time to put my actual name mm. on, on the Pang <laughs> profile because there's no reason to hide it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I think it is interesting when you see other artists who have facets, different facets to their practice. I like putting them together. I find it interesting. I do want to know. So I figured I might as well just join them. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I love your um, Caravaggio in East London. Do you do it with Thank spray you. paint? Yeah, I do. Um, I do. I thought it would be quite hard, but it's actually, it's got, once you get the grip of the can, which does take a while because it's, a you know, with a nozzle and you have to be quite controlled with it, but yeah. something about doing classical painting with it means that you can relax a bit more because when I'm trying to do sharp things or, or illustrative things that's really difficult with a spray can mm, like I have to be I as my that. hand will like shake with the effort to kind of keep in a straight line but uh -huh. when you're painting um the kind of classical uh, portraits you can first of all get a lot more distance between the nozzle and the wall so I don't need to be so controlled I can kind of do kind of brushy type of quick motions yeah. which obviously you can't see but I'm showing you now the kind of more quick things yeah. and um, there's something about that distance which really helps mm. so and, and I can just kind of let things sort of spray and land on the wall in a more wide way um, so it's actually easier basically what I'm trying to say is it's easier with a spray can to do a classical portrait than to do like a uh, like a sharp linear drawing right, much right. easier wow wow and which has been your favorite <clears throat> project out on the streets oh that's a good question <laughs> um i think i've probably like in retrospect because it's funny there's such a difference between going through something in the moment and then retrospect you sometimes mm. only realize how you feel about something in retrospect so i think looking back i do really love those projects 
that kind of involve me painting a classical head um, in a public space and then allowing over the months um, that follow allowing um, intervention from kind of anyone and everyone and I really hope for graffiti tagging really yeah that's my kind of favorite is when a tagger will come along and and make their mark and then I've never met them I don't know who they are sometimes I've seen their tag for years and I know exactly Mm. who they are but I don't know who the person is but I know the tag I find that really exciting when you kind of return to a piece that you've done six months later and it's kind of covered in all of these scrawls and drawings and tags and you know any color shape size um, I find it thrilling actually to kind of see this really strange dialogue in a way between let's say Rembrandt mm. and like Fatso who's a prolific tagger around East London I'm waiting for him to tag he hasn't actually tagged I just plucked his <laughs> name he's literally everywhere now that I've yeah. said it you'll see him everywhere yeah, yeah. Um, I find that really interesting and yeah it's just a good sort of sort of discourse between something happening today and the kind of um, you know the classical paintings from hundreds of years ago mm. is it quite thrilling when you're going out and painting in the in the street yeah it can be definitely I'm always nervous at the beginning there's always a period when I'm like sizing up the wall and I you know I'm like dancing around almost doing my first (laughs) thing but just not quite and that's always at least an hour I'm like looking at it going up to it really nervous kind of like shaking my can almost making my first mark but then not Um, but then it's weird you kind of develop this like relationship with the whole thing so two days in I'm like oh yeah this wall oh this wall I know it really well Oh, that brick, my friend. But in the beginning, it's really quite nerve-wracking. And, you know, people, I never want to make the first move if someone's watching. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, You know, yeah. and you're like, no, don't look at me. Yeah. And then if there's no one there, I'm like, okay, now's my moment. Right, right. So you're painting in the daytime? Yeah, think? daytime's a lot better. Yeah. I haven't actually painted at night for a really long time. Oh, really? Also, it's so damn cold. It's always fucking cold outside. Yeah, yeah. Excuse my language. <laughs> it's always freezing. Yeah. So, yeah, daytime's good. Um, better not to have direct sunlight on the wall either because that can really kind of blind you against the white wall. So, actually, a day like today, flat, grey, kind of non-sunny, that's perfect. Mm, mm. And it's good timing because I am going to paint today, actually. Yes. Where are you going to paint? So I'm painting with um, a very good friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, um, Sammy Worthington. Uh, She's an epic muralist and painter. And um, we're actually on our course together, which was just a sheer coincidence. No way. Yeah. And it's so nice. It was such a coincidence. I was thrilled. So yeah, we're going to go and paint a mural um, to sort of celebrate LGBTQ plus history. It's it's now history month for for LGBTQ community, Mm. February. And um, we will be painting uh, a portrait of Hannah Gluckstein, who was a painter. Um, she was born in the late 1800s. She was an incredible painter and hero, basically. But we sort of wanted to... And we're working with a charity called Opening Doors London. Great, okay. So they work with elderly members of LGBTQ plus community. And um, we are going to paint a mural on the Glory Pub, which is a sort of epic venue. Yeah. Um, and sort of in conjunction with the charity and the venue, we wanted to kind of, we wanted to paint people, the sort of unsung heroes. Mm -hmm. So if you take um, a sort of female gay painter who's long since died Mm. um, and paint her, I think it's a really nice way to sort of remember people that maybe didn't get the kind of recognition that they definitely deserved at the time. And we're hoping that this is the first in a series. So today's the kind of 
pilot, if you will. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited. That's really excited. Like, yeah, that sounds brilliant. It sounds beautiful. Um, how does a collaboration like that work? Do you design it together and then, or do you sort of like it's two jazz musicians just spraying immense <laughs> on another? How yeah, good work? question. I mean, it could actually, it could be so many things, right? Mm, mm. Um, I love the analogy of the jazz musicians, kind of obviously yeah. jazz is so lively and unpredictable. Um, mm. In this case, though, we have designed it, yeah. We've taken a photo of Hannah Gluckstein um, standing in front of one of her paintings. It's mm. quite zoomed in, so it's a really beautiful kind of black and white shot of her face or her head and shoulders in front of one of her paintings which is flowers um, and mm. basically we decided to go with a tiny little hint of color but pretty much we're just gonna copy this photograph because it's really beautiful and mm. and you know it's not so much about us yeah. it's actually more about her right so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. we just thought something simple and classic and pure would work quite well oh, on yeah. the side of the glory absolutely so yeah we'll be doing that today and tomorrow hopefully finishing because tomorrow evening because on Sunday yeah. it's going to bucket down mm. and that's not helpful and actually today is the first time I'm going to paint with brushes on a wall mm. so wish me luck <laughs> good luck <Thanks>. yeah. <laughs> um the international women's day auction is looking stunning it Could is you talk us through your cards that you have yeah. donated very absolutely 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 so um one of them is based on a Peruvian um religious painting which uh is anonymous it doesn't seem to have people don't seem to know who painted it I just found it online and thought it was so beautiful so mm. I really wanted to kind of base it on that yeah. but using my cowboy character um, and slightly tweaking I love certain the elements character. thank you is, is he the same uh, cowboy character that appears in the spray paints yeah uh, with the roller yeah, yeah. absolutely Great. absolutely and I I I really don't know why this cowboy came out years ago and I don't want to I don't need to dig too much because it's like no. I've tried and I can't so yeah. there's a, a cowboy friend. he's just there the cowboy's <laughs> yeah. there he comes out all the time he's obviously attention seeking mm. needy little cowboy but um yeah basically so obviously he was going to feature in the postcard and I found the composition so beautiful and mm. the design yeah. is so yeah yeah kind of so balanced and harmonious so that's really what attracted me to it is where everything's placed um, and the other postcard was much more autonomous. Um, I sort of just drew it. I quite like, like working with my imagination and um, there's such a difference between sort of thinking about your design. We've got a cat <laughs> it's a in cat. the room. <laughs> Naughty little cat. Um, there's such a difference with sort of thinking about your design and mm. not thinking about your design. And I really like to keep those two things balanced so I don't want to always have to think too hard I like just being able to sort of relax onto the paper yes. and not really think about it so again the cowboy comes out and then it's like they kind of they kind of go as they go yeah so the cowboy came out and then I was like oh I'll shove a cigarette in his hand and then oh maybe I'll make the smoke a feature mm -hmm. and then oh actually he should be on horseback and then yes I think <laughs> I'll put a little village in the background oh yeah so, you know, I guess at some point it's worth thinking about why you return to the motifs. As artists, you know, we all do that. Yeah. And it's like, why do some artists go back to, like, village, villages or smoke or cowboys? And, mm. you know, that's always interesting. But, but for the time being, I also just, just like not thinking about it and just yes. kind of letting it happen. Yeah, yeah. But I always find it interesting in other artists. I always want to know and poke yeah. and, like, <laughs> why do you do that, though? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes it's... Uh, just creative intuition, I guess. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Just gonna remove 
cheeky cat on the table. He always he's a very table. big, beautiful cat. <laughs> he's, he's like he's such a beast. Yeah, he's massive. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's Absolute been so pleasure. interesting. And uh, yeah, we absolutely love your cards and I'm very excited to have you in the exhibition. Thank you so much. That's, that's lovely to hear. I'm thrilled to be part of Art on a Postcard. And it's, it's been about the fourth, yeah. fourth year in a row yeah. that I've been involved and I'm so happy to keep being asked. So thank you. <laughs> well, it's our pleasure. Thank you for listening to Art on a Podcast. To find out more about anything in today's episode, go to artonapostcard.com and be sure to follow us on all our social channels at Artonapostcard. Goodbye!